Welcome to the Legislate podcast, a place to learn about the latest insights and trends in property, technology, business building, and contract drafting. Today, I'm excited to welcome Claire Pardot on the show. Claire is the general counsel of Parkwalk Advisors. Parkwalk is a leading investor in hard science companies, commercializing the scientific discoveries made at the UK's globally ranked research universities. Claire, thank you for making the time. Would you like to please share a bit of background about yourself and Parkwalk? Thank you for having me. I started off life um, actually not in law at all. I read physics at university and I absolutely love that. But when I got to the end of my degree, I decided that uh, more research was not for me and I wanted to do something uh, practical and I wanted to use the skills that I'd learned and the analysis skills in particular in my career going forwards. And so I started looking at law and after first training as a barrister, I then cross-qualified and became a solicitor. And I have been a, a corporate M&A solicitor for uh, nearly 15 years now, which feels like a very long time. I've been in private practice at McFarlane's and then Freshfields and then Withers. Those different firms have given me the ability to work with companies of of every stage really and every size very small companies all the way through to billion dollar companies everything from startups to extremely large listed companies and through that experience i think i came to realize that the companies that i found most interesting were startups that was where i felt i could add the most as as a lawyer and the experience i had of structuring transactions and helping companies to to get investments i moved to parkwalk just over 4 years ago and became parkwalk's general counsel and on a day-to-day basis i do everything everything legal at parkwalk whether that's doing our investment documents working alongside external counsel for our exits working on our fund documentation and also occasionally assisting our portfolio companies with with legal issues if they need any help. That's a really fascinating career with exposure to lots of different areas. What's been your favourite moment so far? That's a difficult one. Um, My favourite moment was, it came a number of years ago, I was about four years qualified and I was working on a very big transaction when I was at Freshfields and we were acting for for the government for the UK government and for Northern Rock when it was sold to Virgin and it was an absolutely brilliant transaction to work on I just loved it I learned so much from all of the people involved but the the favorite moment for me was most people are, most people were delighted when their deal was on the front cover of cover of the financial times mine made it to the front cover of private eye and that's definitely my favorite moment and, and i imagine you um still have that cover I, do. Somewhere. <laughs> I do i have a, co- a hard copy of that private eye actually it's a, a very treasured memory well congratulations and what do you wish you had known before becoming a lawyer i think i would like to have known quite how hard work it is in private practice when in those first few years in particular once you've qualified it's very hard work trying to get to grips with 
not only the amount of work you have to get through, but also the breadth, the breadth of UK law in particular, and the way that all the different arms of UK law feed into one another. As a corporate lawyer in particular, when you're running corporate transactions, you have to have an understanding of how all of those parts fit together in order to be able to do your role really well. And that's a, that's a big thing to get your hands around to start with. I, I think I knew it would be hard work, but probably didn't realise quite how hard it would be. But then I think that's probably the same for, I could say, for parenting. It's going to be hard in advance, but the reality is a little bit harder than you thought. Well, I, I can say it's uh, the same when it comes to starting a deal. You've already touched on the type of legal work you do at Parkwalk. What are the key contracts that you interact with the most frequently? So the, the key contracts that I look at the most are, are non-disclosure agreements when, we, when we're first looking at new companies. We then move on to looking at subscription and shareholders agreements and sets of articles. So every time we do an investment round, we have a new set of articles and a new subscription and shareholders agreement. I probably look at sort of five or six sets of those sort of every day for six of our different companies. I also look at lots of employment agreements. Those are one of the key things that we check when um, when we're making an investment into a company, checking that, that the terms are sensible, that they cover all of the key areas, such as intellectual property, confidentiality agreements, IP, those sorts of matters, which I know not everyone is not everyone is fortunate enough to have the legislate the legislate employment agreement to work from. If they did, it would make my job much more much quicker. I have to say, but it's yeah, that's one of the key things that we check. We're, we're definitely working on, on that. <laughs> we won't be long. And with those contracts that you, you mentioned, IP confidentiality. What are the common issues or areas of friction that you identify in those contracts that you're reviewing and, and how do you overcome them? The funds that Parkwalk manages are all EIS funds. So although we don't guarantee the availability of EIS on all of our investments, it's something that we strive to get and it's something that we work very hard to try and get assurances on to make sure that our investments are EIS qualifying. Sometimes those the EIS requirements that we have can look a little bit different to, to, to what other investors might want. And so there's a certain amount of educating that needs to be done about EIS and, and why EIS works in the way that it does and also how it interacts with other investors' requirements. With investors that we work alongside very regularly, we all have an appreciation of what one another needs in a contract and, and that tends to make investments quite quick. But if we come across someone who perhaps hasn't dealt with EIS before, we need we always take a little bit of time to explain how the rules work and therefore the impact that that has on what we're asking for and why we're asking for the things that we are. And we tend to find actually that when we do that, that our requests are, are not so problematic. One of the one of the one of the hard probably the hardest challenge that we deal with at the moment is the debate around anti-dilution and whether anti-dilution should be included in agreements or not. We don't like anti-dilution as a firm. We don't feel that it's fair. We feel that it unaligns investors with founders. And also EIS funds, EIS shares cannot have anti-dilution rights. So it, it tends to mean that we're unaligning all the investors with founders, but also investors with one another. And, and in order to try and drive growth in a 
a spin out or a, a sort of a growth company, it's really important that all the parties are pulling in the same direction and have that same goal and those same rights to sit alongside each other. So that's one of the that I think is one of the biggest challenges that we're facing at the moment. And, and I think clear communication from the start is essential. Definitely. So yeah. And what tips would you give to a new founder, especially around legal? Get a good lawyer. I would say that, wouldn't I? I think often when a founder is starting up a company, there there is a real concentration, as there should be, on what to spend money on and being careful with how money is spent. And that's a great trait to have. But there is a sort of slightly false sense of economy when it comes to legal work. I've seen and I've advised founders after the event, not at Parkwalk, but where they haven't taken the time to put in place properly drafted legal agreements. And it makes things really incredibly difficult when things go wrong. And sometimes these things do go wrong, especially if you've got two friends coming together or and forming a company, but no real legal documentation about what happens when one of you decides you you want to leave or, or you're at a, a deadlock in terms of decision making it sometimes legal bills do look expensive sometimes they are expensive but my key piece of advice is make sure you get things paid with make sure you take really good specialist advice from somebody who deals with this kind of work on a daily basis because they will help you to put in place a framework that hopefully you'll never have to look at again but if you do have to look at it because something's gone wrong, you know that you've got some brilliant drafted agreements that will help to resolve the situation in the best way possible. Yeah, I agree. Contracts are all about managing risk. And if you can start from a solid foundation, then you can do a lot of things. And I think where legislate also fits in, in terms of reducing the cost is once you have that framework of you know, the articles and, and the company, then when you need to hire, or if you need to engage consultants or enter into NDA, at least legislate can help save, help founders save money it's there. A, well, the, um, the legislate platform is so exciting and is such a key resource for new companies. You're absolutely right. Being able to save money on legal bill where you can is a really good thing, but you need to save it in a savvy way, in a way that doesn't put you at risk. And using the Legislate platform is fantastic. It gives you a really well-drafted set of documents. You can feel comfortable and confident using it, knowing that you've got some some great agreements in, in place that, that will stand you in very good stead. Well, thank, thank you very much, Claire, for the uh, mm-hmm. kind words. I'm conscious I've taken up a lot of your time, so I'm going to ask you the closing question we ask all our guests. So if you were being sent a contract to sign today, what would impress you? Very good question. Firstly, it would impress me if I'd seen it before it was, I was being sent it to sign it. More often than not, I, I get sent something and, and, and I'm asked to sign it. And my question is, right, I'm going to have to review it first. The other thing that would really impress me actually is if someone who had prepared it had taken the time to tailor it to the particular situation and had taken the time to think about how I, as the recipient of the contract, was going to feel about the contents of it. A a note to say, I know that this particular clause really matters to you so we've left it as it is or i know that i I know that you have um, a particular regulatory issue that you need covered in an nda and i've already put that in there that sort of forethought and that planning 
I think that always really impresses me. 30 or so podcast episodes, you're the first uh, person to, to say that you'd be impressed if you'd actually seen the contract <laughs> before signing. And it's actually a, a very valid point because I, I do think, you know, e-signatures have popularized that habit of just firing off a contract, but there needs to be some discussion. There needs to be some tailoring. And, uh, and if you can do it in a thoughtful way, then that makes an impressive Absolutely. contract. Thank you very much, Claire, for being on the podcast. Best of luck supporting your current and future portfolio companies. And I look forward to hopefully having you on the show again. Thank you so much, Charles.